from the News Channel 5 Network. This is the Tecus McGinnis Elder Care Law Hour. Welcome to Tecus McGinnis Elder Care Law Hour, where we explore the many issues that arise due to aging, disability, and unexpected illness. I'm your co-host, Tim Tecus. And I'm your host, Barbara McGinnis. In today's episode, we're gonna talk about love. February is the month of love, and it can be complicated especially as you age and find love later in life, maybe for the second or third time, it can get actually quite messy without good planning. That's what we're gonna talk about today, is how do you plan for this? Specifically, what should we talk about for estate planning and financial planning? So, Tim? Yes? We're we're estate planning attorneys. We're certified elder law attorneys. And you've been doing this particularly for a long time. What kind of issues? A long time. A long time. Yes. So what kind of issues have you seen? And do you recommend people getting a prenuptial agreement? Well, certainly people who are are getting married or thinking about getting married late in life should consider a prenuptial agreement, you know, or sometimes they call it an antinuptial agreement. Um, And there are a lot of reasons to do that. Certainly if for people who are, uh, who are going to get married late in life and they br- each of them brings an estate, you know, money and property into their marriage, that marriage, most of, our, most of those folks, you know, they want to protect their inheritance for their children, you know, the, you know, because they don't have children with a new spouse, obviously. Uh, so there are a lot of reasons why they need to do that and how they should, how they should maintain their separate property. Uh, and, and we see that a lot where you know, common pitfalls are, uh, well, I, got, I, I, I don't have a prenuptial agreement or I, or I do have a prenuptial agreement and we combine our assets you know, and that's not what you want to do. So one of the things you want to do is maintain your separate property. Um, another thing that people need to think about as well when they are, okay, they're married or they're approaching marriage is, is that if they're going to have separate property, and they will, is to each individual, each spouse should use their separate property first to pay for their care. Uh, one of the things that, that sort of colors our world, as you know, as, as certified elder law attorneys is, is, as we mentioned on the top of the show, aging, disability, and unexpected illness. You know, and aging doesn't cost money, but unexpected illness and disability does. So people that are getting married late in life, they need to understand, or we feel like that they should do, is keep their property separate. You know, and if one spouse gets sick, you know, then that spouse should use his or her separate funds to first to pay, pay for his or her care. So some of that planning is that we don't really plan often on becoming sick. So it becomes part of, it's part of that unknown future. Yeah. But the prenup is about disclosure right. to, to your future spouse, yeah, disclosure that, of assets. Right, and that's required by law. And that how are we going to use those disclosed assets? We're not going to prematurely gift, or if we are going to gift to children, that we do it with a mutual consent. Right, um, right, because you don't want to get into a situation where you have a spouse, they come into the marriage together, they have a prenuptial agreement, and you think, oh, it's great, we're separating our assets. Yeah, but then one spouse decides that, well, I, you know, my children need my, my money, mm-hmm. so that spouse gives, you know, his or her children their money, you know, and then unfortunately, when that spouse needs her money, yes. it's not there. Right. And, and nor are the children likely to want to give it back, not right? Not likely, right. Yeah. Right, because at that point then, um, you know, the, 
her children are going to be thinking about, well, you know, our, our stepfather needs to take care of our mom. That's her, it's his responsibility. And by law, there is a duty of support, Absolutely right? there yeah. is. You know, it doesn't matter whether you've been married for five months or 50 years. You know, once you, you know, at least in this state, you know, each spouse has a duty to provide for the other spouses what are called necessities. Okay. So that essentially means that spouse's support, right? So again, planning so that not only the cup, the married couple can mm -hmm. live without discord, but there's not, um, there's not speculation among those uh, new children. I mean, right. not new children, but stepchildren. Stepchildren, right? You know, they're not assuming bad things about the new uh, the new spouse. Exactly. Right? Mm -hmm. Mom, dad's new wife. They're not assuming that she's just going to live off of his money, and I'm yeah. not going to get any inheritance. Mm -hmm. Let's have some plan. Let's maybe have some disclosure. Right. Even think about having a, a conversation. You're entitled to your privacy, even if you're right. an older person. Yeah. But maybe some disclosure. What do you think? Yeah, and that, that's that's sort of the interesting thing. And I know we've, we've talked about this a lot in the office about, okay, people are getting married late in life. Um, and you don't really necessarily think, you know, as you, as you mentioned is, is that, okay, love is grand and, you know, this is going to be wonderful and I'm going to live out my golden years, you know, with this new spouse. Right. Uh, well, children may have other things that they're thinking about and they don't necessarily matter, but they do. Yeah, I they mean, do. as you said, is is that family harmony matters. Yeah, family harmony matters. You know, and, and it seems like for all of our spouses or all of our clients, family harmony does matter. There's no legal obligation to disclose, but you know, it's sometimes a good idea. So, what about can you plan for long-term care, even if you're not even if you're not currently sick when you're getting married? Right. So, so let's think about how we might do that. Is is that okay? We have two healthy older people that that that. They, they decide to get married, uh, and they're thinking about should they do a prenuptial agreement. Now, most of the time, you know, they might go to uh, a domestic relations lawyer, and the domestic relations lawyer may draft a standard form prenuptial agreement, and they're not almost, un it's very unlikely that they're going to have anything in there at all about the possibility of this one spouse needing long-term care. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that you would want to look at under those circumstances is, is like we talked, you mentioned about gifting. Okay, one spouse, they come into the marriage and uh, there are the, there's an expectation and it's written into the agreement that that's, each spouse would use their assets to pay for their long-term care. And there would have to be, an, there, and there would be a requirement that each spouse has to consent before gifts are made. Now if you can't do that, perhaps you have a long-term care insurance policy. So if, the, if, each, if a spouse can qualify for long-term care insur insurance, write that into the contract, yeah. you know, into the prenuptial agreement. If, the, if they can't qualify for long-term care insurance, maybe we set up a, uh, a trust. So money is set aside in a trust for that spouse. Um, or maybe even a, having a life insurance policy. So there are a lot of different ways that you, it's really about financing long-term care. So the life insurance policy, that's kind of interesting. If, yes. if maybe the couple did not come to the marriage with equal assets, mm -hmm. and so may, maybe the new husband would have to pay for care for the new wife, right? but the but there's life insurance taken out on the new wife. Right, who, maybe, so who does not, so maybe the, maybe the husband pays for that. Pays for that so mm -hmm. that um, at her death, he would be the primary beneficiary to, right. to be mm -hmm. reimbursed for the care that he's paid for exactly. for these years. Mm -hmm. um, so th that's, quite, um, that's quite interesting. So yeah, it is, isn't it? It is, <laughs> uh -huh. it is. Um, what, what kind of examples? You got any stories? I do. 
Um, I remember years and years ago, and I'll make this brief, but you know, a gen an older gentleman came in to see me and he said he was married late in life and his wife was now in a nursing home. You know, and he told me that, well, um, when, you know, a few years before, you know, the, his, that meeting coming in to see me, his wife had given away all of her, her money to her children. You know, and he says, okay, now what am I supposed to do? And I had to explain to him is, I'm sorry, but the law says you have to support your spouse. Mm -hmm. You can't look to his, her children to pay for her care. Right. You know, and, and those are the sorts of things that, you know, good example because a th those things I'm sure happen all the time. A good example of how things can go wrong, wrong if, you, if don't you don't plan, plan ahead. Exactly, exactly. All right. But, yes. so sometimes people come in with prenuptials, right. but um, TenCare, they're looking at long-term care and TenCare, and TenCare doesn't honor prenups. They don't care about, they don't, whether yeah. they don't care whether you've been married for five months or 50 years, you know, that you have a duty of support. They don't care whether you've given money to your, uh, if, you're, if you're holding assets, like let's say a, a mom has a, you know, the, the wife has assets that she's holding jointly with her yeah. children, yeah. that's still her money. Separate property doesn't matter. So you know, they count it as a community. So sometimes you can use a trust in lieu of a prenup right. or in addition to a prenup that really will p provide some security if you have enough time to plan. Right. There's a five-year look back if you're going right. to give money away, like using a trust. So right. there are some really things that we need to think so about. So this is an interesting topic. Yes, you, there it you, is. You've actually written about it in our continuum. We have uh, an article called Older and in Love, Five Things to Consider. You can find this and other information on our website, uh, tn-shelderlaw.com. Yeah, right. And we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to have an expert with us that's going to talk about financial planning. Right, so stay, stay with tuned. us. Mm -hmm. right. my, I'm getting my toys and I'm coming over. All right. <laughs> well, what do you think? You what do you think? Uh -huh. Oh, this is cold. <laughs> we didn't pre-warm today. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's uh -huh. all right. But uh, where's the where's the up button? Uh, I think I don't know. But there. Okay. That, yeah, I did. Because I'm I'm seeing a little low. I'm sitting I'm sitting a little sitting low. Sitting a little low, but um, I think it's okay. Are you're, your knees okay? No, my knees are fine. Okay, well, well then then they're okay if you're not hurting. Mostly it's like uh, you know if I'm not feeling like I'm. If the light's not shining off your head. Yeah, that's true. Sure. That's what I need to do is I need to think about that. Get the makeup out. Okay. Sure. Watch out, the table moves. So. That's right. Yeah, the chair doesn't, the table does. Dinah, does he get a cup? Yeah. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Oh, I forgot it. You forgot, forgot my prop. prop. Yes, your prop. <laughs> mm -hmm. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Is this full of Jack Daniels? No. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> Microphones on you. We got a buzz in this one for right. some reason. 
I put it down in my pocket because it was making me look like I had big pecs. Like a what now? Yeah, it, so made, it was made it look like I had big pecs. It was ruining on your, one side. It's ruining your line is what it does. <laughs> you know, I always say that. You know, you don't want to have anything in your pockets that ruins the line. Okay, is your son and um, Zahara back together? Zamaria? Yeah. Oh, yes. They they actually had a very short breakup, and they're talking about getting married next year. Okay, good. I saw her at the club the other night. She is awesome. I just know Zamaria her as Thompson a... Thompson is my son's girlfriend. Uh, been, she originally was my daughter's friend that came over to the house when they were, you know, younger teenagers, yeah. and they hit it off. Yeah. And see, and, and we just all call her Z. Zmar. We call her Zmar in our house. Zmar. Okay. Z-mar. I'll remember Short that. Short for Zmaria. Yeah. If you want to just tuck this under your left leg when you sit down. Can I do that? Well, it's the micro, the, the uh, antenna, I think, is what's. I see. Of, can I do this? Of, yeah, you can do that. That's fine. I just, all right, very good. Oh, she's so pretty. She they, is they make beautiful. A, she's a senior. I'm at getting PSU. buzzing also. Yeah, we're, yeah. we're working on it. And I respect her so much because she's such a good speaker. You know, she's totally done what she's done. Mm-hmm. Very little family support. You know, we're using Bernard for Medicare, but is there any opportunity to use you for Social Security? Yes. And he said, yes, we need to talk. Okay. But he's growing like crazy. He's got like all Good these municipi- yeah. municipalities in Alabama that he uh-huh. has now contracted with, and that's why he hired Jermaine. Oh, Jermaine is uh, And Jermaine is a Title 16 expert that just, okay. left, federal, just left the federal so, government, yeah. but he's also Medicare as well. Okay. Good. So, and he said, uh, you know, if you don't care that it's always me. And I said, oh, no, it doesn't matter. Yeah. That doesn't matter. It just needs to be a contract with FedLogic. Right. Okay. Yes. Okay, thank you. I might have to. She said, Rips. Rips. I know. Thank you. You're welcome. Do I have to redo the first segment now? No. Okay, good. Okay, thank you. Is that good? All right. I think this is his third time. Yeah. How many times have you guys done this? We started April. This is episode 23. 23. 23 times. That's a lot of practice. Yes. You'd think we'd be better, wouldn't you? I know. You were good. (laughs) I was really impressed how good you were. It was really smooth. Yeah. I mean, one take. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, there's some stumbles in there, but it just makes us human. It's organic. Because we're just lawyers, we're not TV people. Right. Even though we look good, they still have to, it's still about talking. (laughs) Oh, wait, this is in the wrong ear now. 
you know, one, one thing that, you know, I've been, you know, as you know, or, you know, I've been doing open line and morning line almost for about 20 years. Tim yeah. loves telling people how old he is. Yeah. I think I did the first one in like, I know, I got that, like in 2000. You know, so, I'm, so we're doing this every month. Um, and one of the things that happens when you go on open line or morning line, it's, a, it's the call in. Right. Sometimes nobody calls. Yeah. So you still have to talk. Yeah. You know, and you can't just sit here and go, you know, wait for the, you know, because we, you know, I've, we've been on open line or morning line where it's like 25 minutes to the hour, you know, and we start talking about something and that makes the phone light up. Mm. So we get like five or six calls. Check in the one, last two, check, 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 minutes, check. Whereas we spent 30 minutes talking, you know, among each. You know, and I have to admire Nick. You know, we're, we're just not. We're just not happy with. There's something about the frequency on, on okay. these that are not liking us All right. today. So we're going old school and going wired. Yeah, there you go. Oh yeah, there you go. Plug it right in. There you go. Thank you. Sorry about that. No sweat. <coughs> so, fortunately, see, this is not a live show. So, yeah. You know, but when you get on the live shows, at least we're not the host, but you still have to talk. Mm -hmm. You know, which can be a challenge. Sure. Yes. Ready. Just a minute. It, this feels comfortable. Yes. Welcome back to Take Us McGinnis Elder Law Hour. We are talking today about love in the golden years and how to plan ahead. And I'm Tim Takus, and we're talking about, as Barbara said, love in the golden years and how financial planning may be affected by love in the golden years. And with us today uh, is Kevin Collier, Collier, who is the founder and principal of Collier Wealth Management. Welcome, Kevin. Thank you. So how does marriage later in life impact financial planning? Just uh, right it's out. very complicated. Okay. Uh, we deal with it all the time in our practice because it's so prominent that uh, there'll be second marriages later in life. And of course, with the merger of two families is the merger of two balance sheets, two mm -hmm. uh, list of assets, and the children that obviously have expectations right. to ultimately inherit that. And so it does become complicated. So do you think, do you advise people that are contemplating marriage or to put calling their financial advisor high on that list, right? Notifying them up front. Just last week, I fielded a call from uh, a longtime female client. She was a very successful executive. Uh, her first husband passed away, and I've uh, since met the boyfriend that she's been dating for a couple of years, and they announced their engagement. And so she called to say, well, I want to make sure that my assets still go to my son and my grand grandkids uh, when I'm gone, and uh, he also has family that he wants to make sure gets his assets, so certainly it requires some planning. So what financial considerations apply or how do they differ between whether you're 60 or whether you're 30 and you're bringing in, you know, say a substantial estate into the second or the subsequent marriage? Sure. Well, I think a lot of times it's the balancing of two agendas. 
the first agenda is, of course, taking care of your spouse. Mm -hmm. uh, when you've married someone, of course, you've made a commitment that you'll take care of that person. And uh, then the second consideration and is... And certainly a legal commitment as yes. well as a emotional and yes. a... Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. but, also, but also, you're concerned about uh, the things that you've worked so hard for in your lifetime, ultimately uh, going to your heirs mm -hmm. and not to someone else's heirs. Right. Any special considerations if there's large age disparities between the, the new... That's a big concern. Uh, I've dealt with that many times. Uh, when you have a significantly younger uh, spouse, mm -hmm. uh, clearly there's a lot, a lot longer life expectancy. And thinking about providing for that surviving spouse after you're gone, and yet still ensuring that the money goes where you want it to, is uh, you know a problem that needs to be addressed. So together with your legal advisors and your uh, financial advisors, maybe even your accountants, uh, a plan can be devised to make sure that money flows the way that it should to mm -hmm. satisfy both concerns, both the concern of caring for the surviving spouse and ultimately making sure it goes where you want it to and not to the new boyfriend. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right, <Yeah. laughs> right. You know, I was thinking about, you know, when you were talking about, okay, so uh, you, you like your, you know, the woman that calls you and that you've been representing or working with for a long time. Uh, what about a case where, okay, you have a married, you know, the soon-to-be married couple, older couple, and one of them that you have worked with for a long time, but maybe the other spouse or the spouse-to-be either comes in with a minimal estate or maybe has a large estate, but they're working with somebody else. Yeah. I mean, I could see how that could be complicated. Maybe, well, maybe there's some conflict or ethical issues perhaps for a financial planner to say, okay, can I work with you or not? Or how does that work? Sure. Well, I think the, the, the perfect uh, scenario would be yeah. where all of the advisors gather around the table together mm -hmm. to solve the problem. Right. You know, it's perfectly fine if the spouse who is not my client continues to work with their advisor, mm -hmm. the spouse who is my client continues to work with me, and we just need to coordinate our efforts together mm -hmm. uh, to make yeah. sure that everything, you know, is working together. So that's the optimal. That's the optimal, okay, let's yes. not, And usually it's not optimal. Well, and then right. of course, uh, truthfully, yeah. we would look at that as an opportunity to maybe win over this uh, new person mm -hmm. uh, because it would simplify matters a great deal if they worked with one financial advisor but still kept the assets separate. So that's the key is keeping them separate, at, yes. least, at least initially. Anyway. Yes, mm -hmm. and that requires coordination. Right. I think one thing, um, a challenge that we encounter a good bit is people do not often understand how the role of their legal estate planning documents with their beneficiary designations mm -hmm. in their financial products. So spouses may not always inherit the uh, retirement plan, right? That's right. We have ERISA plans and non-ERISA plans. Um, ERISA plans are 401ks and what? 401ks, pensions, and typically ERISA law says the spouse gets that, and if they don't get that by beneficiary designation, they have to be notified and sign off on that gotcha. on the document. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, but uh, most people will roll those assets into an IRA and there's no requirement for spousal notification mm -hmm. if uh, a person decides to change the beneficiary on right. uh, a retirement account. So you cannot count on the fact that as a surviving spouse that you're going to get that. You have to make sure that you review those beneficiary designations periodically 
and make sure that it's still working the way it should. Right, and we all know, and I'm sure you do especially, that there are horror stories of people that they never changed the beneficiary, and so now it goes to the uh, ex-spouse. Ex-spouse. <laughs> yeah. That really wasn't planned, right? No. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah, I think that was like the Conway Twitty or the Harold who was Jenkins, the Jenkins estate, yes. you know, in Sumner County that went on for years and years. Right. You know, so financial planning changes as well as estate planning. Yes. You know, and everything else. For sure. Okay, what about uh, tax implications? Well, you know, when you think about the two types of money, there's qualified money, which would be 401ks, pensions, uh, IRAs, and the like. And then there's non-qualified money. That might be just money in an investment account, a joint account, an account that's TOD to your kids. And the tax implications are twofold for mm -hmm. retirement accounts, except for the Roth. Yeah. Uh, all retirement accounts, regardless, are taxable. Right. Uh, when the money comes out of those accounts. So there's not a great deal that can be done to, to avoid that. There's not much that can be uh, done to you know, miss, miss out on the taxes. Right. But for the non-qualified assets, um, you know, there's an opportunity for planning there because, uh, of course, at death, you get a step up in basis and uh, that can okay, avoid capital gains. Can you explain a little bit for our viewers about what, the, what a step up means? Sure, so imagine that you had made an investment of a half a million dollars. Mm -hmm. And because it did well and you worked with the right people and it was managed well, right. uh, now that asset is now worth $2 million. Okay. And you have a million and a half dollars of unrealized capital gains. Gotcha. Uh, a person who has that in their estate and then passes away, uh, can give a step up in basis to the $2 million figure mm -hmm. for purposes of both income taxes and for the estate valuation. Right. So basically it's a get out of jail card so to children, avoid. So children inherit that $2 million and then if they sell it the next day on the market, there's no capital gain. That's correct. Right. Or a surviving spouse if it was not jointly owned. Gotcha. So the, sp the surviving spouse gets a step up. Yes. A full step up. If it's jointly owned, they only get a half, half step, a step up. up. Yes. Gotcha. Yes. Mm -hmm. So there's some opportunities to plan there. For sure. So back to what you were saying about optimally having all those advisors around the table, or at least around a, a virtual table, to plan for someone: the financial advisor, the attorney, the accountant to help plan on these taxes, um, to, to bring a family together. Any. Um, do you have any thoughts or comments about a benefit to making sure that the spouse is the beneficiary of an IRA as opposed to children? Any, and maybe the children could be the beneficiaries of some other money, still an yeah. equitable division. Yeah, there's one uh, benefit to a spouse being the beneficiary, and that is the law allows for the IRA to be treated as if it was always their IRA. There's no requirement unless they're over 70 and a half to start drawing down that money. Mm -hmm. uh, for a non-spousal beneficiary, such as children, uh, it has to go to something called a beneficiary IRA, and it has its own set of rules that says yeah. no matter what the child's age is, they have to start have to drawing start that drawing. money. Right. Yeah. Yep. Gotcha. So they have to start spending it down. Gotcha. So there are a lot of things to think about. We're talking with Kevin Collier, who is the principal and founder of Collier Wealth Management in Hendersonville. Kevin, we're going to put your contact Contacted. information up Wonderful. here. Thanks. I know we haven't answered it, people's all their questions about financial planning related to right. uh, later in life marriage, but giving people things to think about. Thank you for being here. Thank right. you. So up next, stay with us. We'll be speaking with Chris Johnson, our associate attorney. We'll be talking about 
veterans' benefits and the impact of those benefits on late-in-life marriages. Stay with us. We also have a podcast. Oh, cool. Yeah, this, this turns is, into a podcast. This turns into Does a it? podcast. Mm -hmm. yeah. Does it? Wonderful. And that's Thank new. That's, that that's a newer thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't you know. You posted that on your website? Yeah. I don't, yeah, I think we do. I'm just curious. Did this, will this be the first one, or have you done I think the previous show? We are getting it onto SoundCloud, mm -hmm. and Caleb's still kind of researching yeah. that. So yeah, it's oh, a, okay. It hasn't yeah. done yet. Yeah. Okay. But we've got a whole, we've got 23, and, or 22 in the, in the can to put up. Right. Yeah, thank you. Thank You're you welcome. So Thanks much. for coming. You're so welcome. Thank you for inviting me. We'll see you next week. Let's do it again. Set. Yep, just bring it up. There you go. Okay. Yeah. Table moves. Sorry chair about does that. not. Chair does not. <laughs> yes. Not very well. There we go. All right. Pitch your time, guys. In case, yeah. so, does so we have so we can do multiple prints. That's right. So does yes. Melissa have her class watching you this morning? I, oh, not I don't this morning. Know. Next, no, next, no. Next, next Friday. Tomorrow. Next Friday. Yeah. We'll uh -huh. find out. I don't know if the four-year-olds are interested. <laughs> no, probably. Not. No, she, she's in the staff lounge, going, "Look, look, there there's is. There is. All right, welcome back. Seasonal of love, but when love comes later in life, there's a number of things to consider. Even when it comes to veterans' benefits. Yes, moral of the story. If you're going to be old in marriage, you might as well marry a veteran. That's we right. Are you ready? <laughs> ready. <laughs> Hi, welcome back to Take Us McGinnis Elder Care Law Hour. I'm Barbara McGinnis, and we're talking about love, love in the later life, and things that you need to think about as you're getting married, perhaps uh, for a second or third time, even when it comes to veterans' benefits. Right, and I'm Tim Takis, your co-host, and in this segment we are talking about divorce, death, or remarriage in the context uh, of veterans' benefits, VA pension, DIC, compensation and all those subjects that our next guest, our associate attorney, Chris Johnson, you know, will be talking about. Chris came to us with 19 years of experience, legal experience, believe it or not, you don't look like 19 <laughs> years of experience. Legal military experience. Yeah, in addition to that, Chris is also a veteran himself. So welcome, Chris. Welcome, thank you, Tim. Um, the benefit that we deal with most is the veteran's pension, or as some people refer to it, is the aid and attendance benefit. That's correct. Uh, can you share with us a little bit more about what that is and what the and who qualifies? Absolutely. So it's a it's a benefit that's there for veterans who qualify both financially and then if you look at the aid and attendance portion of it for medical qualifications. So I, I consider it like a two-layered cake. And the first one is the financial and military qualifications for veterans that are 65 years of age or older or 100% disabled. Uh, 90 days of active duty service with at least one day in a wartime period and a discharge that's other than dishonorable. Right. And once they have those, then they look at the financial criteria. And currently the cap for wealth for your net assets is $127,061. And if you are below that, and then what they do is they have a maximum annual pension rate, and it depends on your status. Are you single? Are you married? How many dependents do you have? 
and then they will look at different amounts and are you the surviving spouse or are you the veteran themselves. And then that they will dial in what we call the baseline non-service connected pension. And then they can look at your medical issues and if you need a, two assistance with two activities of daily living, dressing, bathing, toileting, ambulating, feeding yourself and the like, then they will look at putting an additional layer on that pension known as aid and attendance. And that's what most people affectionately refer to the program as. Right. Mm -hmm. So how much money are we talking about? What's the monthly allowance in these, in these you know, you mentioned several categories. Right. Well, the max category can be up to $24,000 a year. So you can get a stipend of a little over $2,200 a month if you're a married veteran and you need aid and attendance. And that, as anyone can imagine, can have a real big financial impact. So let's say you have, you know, because a, a very common scenario in our office is you have a married couple, one of them who is, you know, significantly maybe impaired. Right. They move to assisted living, which, which might run at $5,000 or $6,000 a month for the couple. Right. Uh, so maybe if the spouse is a veteran, that's uh, $24,000 or $2,000 a month. Oh, it's or, or more than that, $2,200 a month to cover that cost. That's right. And when you think about it, the impact, the VA did put some thought into where they dial it in because I think, you know, a lot of the uh, spouses, one will have a pension or a Social Security. Uh, check that's coming in that's right around fifteen or sixteen hundred and then another one has one that's maybe just close to a thousand so that what do you have right there you have twenty five hundred and you add another twenty two hundred in there and look at that all of a sudden your assisted living facility bill is covered and that's exactly doable. what it's mm -hmm. dialed there for right mm -hmm. now if you're the surviving spouse though it, it, it's a, l a lower benefit. That's right. So if, it's, if you're just a surviving spouse, you're looking at around $790 just for meeting the financial criteria, and then you can get upwards to $1,300 a month if you meet the aid and attendance criteria as well. Right. It has less of an impact, but they understand that the, the program is obviously centered for veterans, but it w does not want to leave the family members behind, obviously. Right. Now, what if you're divorced? So if you're divorced, there's a short answer and a long answer. Okay, let's have the short one and then we'll give you, we'll give you the long <laughs> one. There we go. So the short answer is if you're divorced, the odds are in most cases it severs the benefits. Like anything else under the law, there's always a few caveats and carve-outs okay. and whatnot. And so the most common one is after 1971, if your remarriage is terminated prior to uh, November 1st, 1990, as I recall, uh, then they will count that as your uh, your status for benefits will revert to the original spouse. It's an unusual carve-out, and that's for the non-service connected pension. Then there are other carve-outs. So after 19, October 1st, 1998, for, uh, and I want to make sure I get this correct, for the dependence indemnity compensation, if you are, your remarriage is terminated after 1998, you are eligible for that benefit. Right. So the lesson here is is that it's it always it depends. It always so that's depends. why you need to seek somebody who knows Counsel. this stuff. That's exactly it, and that's one of my favorite answers. Don't always say that you can't qualify. Well, you're divorced and or you got divorced and you can't qualify. And that always depends. That's the nightmare that I always hear when I have a client who's come in who has been told previously no you don't qualify or they will look and when you look at it maybe at that moment they didn't qualify but maybe there was some very basic planning tools that could have been done to qualify them or sometimes people just don't get into the weeds on those little caveats and carve outs they're there for a reason and you need someone who is educated in the area in the field gotcha yeah 
So you mentioned DIC. Mm -hmm. A little more explanation about more, what yeah. that is. So that is for surviving spouse, surviving children of a veteran who either died on active duty or died as a, a cause of their active duty service. So I think the common one that we would think of right now is those that passed because of Agent Orange exposure in Vietnam. And okay. so and so dependency and indemnity compensation equals DIC. Equals DIC. Okay, That's great. correct. So we call it DIC. That's just right. So people know. And there's been a great expansion. Uh, just this past week, the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Federal Circuit actually put out a very big decision involving the Asian Orange part for that, and that is they've expanded the presumptive exposure to those serving offshore, which ca uh, captures a lot of naval personnel that might not otherwise have been given that presumptive that presumption. Uh, otherwise and that will probably provide a lot of good benefits for naval people who served in Vietnam but just weren't having boots on the ground. So, so 1970 you're on a ship, you're on a boat out in the, in the Gulf of Tonkin, the Gulf of Tonkin and right. you're 10 miles offshore or whatever it is, you don't qualify but under this new ruling that's right. you they, may qualify. That under the new ruling you may qualify yeah. and they will take Probably. a look and they have ship's logs and they can go through and there are ways to prove that and gotcha. so it, it okay. does. It'll make a big impact on a lot of people's lives. Right. So Navy retirees would recognize terms like black water, brown water, and blue water. That's right? very much correct. They very much would. So the blue water Navy are the ocean going fleets, if you will, and the yeah. brown water Navy are kind of the riverine forces. Gotcha. So, and, and that expansion now is into some blue water. That is into the blue water fleet now, and that yeah. makes and it. And that's huge. It really is. I, I don't think people quite realize what an impactful decision that was. Right. Right. So DIC is complicated too, though. Back to back to that, and the surviving spouse or or dependent but, children. That that's really a, a potentially huge benefit because that so is. If, so if daddy, if my husband died because of an exposure, that's DIC, right? That's DIC, and the and the critical aspect in proving to uh, get a DIC claim approved is the nexus between the cause of death and the service. And so those when we talk about the presumptions with Asian Orange, that makes that burden so much easier on the family because if you had boots on the ground in Vietnam, you're presumed to have been exposed to Asian Orange yeah. and then they have a presumptive condition list where it's presumed that you got this disease from that exposure and so the VA understood we need to make this easier for some families but there are some presumptions there, where there are some claims where there is no presumption and you have to get your medical records together and get doctors exams and prove the nexus. Do you have to be married to the veteran for a period of time before you're eligible to receive that DIC? Yes, you do. So normally it's you're married to them at the time of death. You've been married to them during the service for that time. Uh, like anything else, divorce affects it and, and divorce can affect things in yeah. very difficulty. But the bottom line is if you've been married to them for over a year, it's worth looking into. So let me, let me, let me see if I understand what you just said is, is that, okay, in 1970, you served during, in, say, in Vietnam. Right. And then you got married in like 1980? Yes. So would your spouse still qualify? If you're still married today and you pass gotcha. while married to so that spouse. So you don't spouse, have to be married during, while that person no, was not, not You don't have yeah. to be married during yeah. this. Okay, time. gotcha, okay. Okay, so what about eligibility for TRICARE? If you marry a veteran, do you get TRICARE? A, a retiree, not just a veteran, yes, right? Yes, so you'll get it, there'll be an eligibility enrollment period, and so that can be a very positive impact on a family. If you have... TRICARE uh, tri is healthcare for veterans. That's correct. Right. And so you can get eligible for TRICARE, and then they have, there's CHAMP VA, and what happens is if you get a divorce with CHAMP VA, that will sever it, 
right. and then, or if you get a remarriage, and then there's a rule before and above 55. Right. Thank you, Chris. Yes. It's time so, for a break. Is it time for yeah, a break? Absolutely it is. So. And when we come back, we're going to be talking with a expert on Medicare and Social Security and how that uh, affects marriage. Chris, you can always find on our website. Stay with us. <laughs> Absolutely. Hi. We're counting yes, on you. you. We're counting on your expertise. Just, just edit out anything that doesn't look doesn't good. Work. Yeah. How are you, sir? Pretty good. Good. Come on up here, just a little okay. closer. There you go. All right. So here's a veteran. Right. Veteran of Tecos McGinnis Elder Care Law Hour, right <laughs> yes. here. Yeah. Right. We yeah. have you on too many more times. You're going to have to get a, yeah. you know, right. like know. name up there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it gets easier every time, right, guys? Yeah, it does. <laughs> You're doing the welcome back. I am. Loving the golden years. Yeah. How does Social Security and Medicare benefits impacted, how are Social Security and Medicare impacted by divorce and remarriage? Frank Cardenas, president of FedLogic, find out a few answers. Can you be entitled to your ex-spouse Social Security? Sure. Yep. Sounds good. <laughs> Welcome back to Take Us Beginners Elder Care Law Hour. I'm your co-host Tim Take Us, and we're talking about love in the golden years. And I'm Barbara McGinnis. In this segment, we're going to be talking specifically about how Medicare and Social Security can be impacted by remarriage, divorce, and death. With us is Frank Cardenas, the president of FedLogic, and he is going to explain some of those things for us. Welcome, Frank. Thanks. Thanks and for having you've me. You've been on before. I and, have. And um, you know, we appreciate your expertise. What about if I'm an ex-spouse, can I collect on Social Security of my former spouse? The or answer is yes, you can. It's a little bit complicated because there's a lot of rules that come into play. Okay, we're used to them. Yes. <laughs> yes. So it's, um, uh -huh. you know, and not every case is yes. the same. Mm -hmm. But the uh, general answer is yes, ex-spouses can collect on uh, on their former spouse. So what are some of those circumstances that would make that apply? Yeah, typically they have to be, have been married for 10 years. So marriage uh, certificate and divorce decree to prove those 10 years worth of marriage. Uh, they of course have to be of age to receive, you know, benefits and their ex-spouse. Yes, mm -hmm. and the ex-spouse also has to be, you know, age 62 to receive benefits. So if there's a little bit of an of a age disparity there, they may, you know, those rules will come into play. Right. Mm -hmm. So what if you're a person that believes in marriage? So you've been married several times. Right. <laughs> you know, and you've been married to one person like maybe for like two persons or for more than 10 years each. Each. What do you do then? That, the same rules apply. So the rule is yes, if they've been married for 10 years each independently, um, then they both are entitled to the same type of benefit. And they have to have been divorced also for two years in order to receive those ex-spousal benefits. Okay, but I don't collect two benefits then, do I? No, I, just, I get the higher one, right? That's right. You, yeah, you can't double collect. You can just collect on the higher of the two benefits. Okay. As long as you have not remarried as well. Okay, run that by me again. No, so if you're collecting <laughs> ex-spousal benefits, that also indicates that you have not remarried. I got it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
your okay. ex-spouse could remarry, but you could not remarry. That's right. Okay. That's right. Another reason not to remarry. <laughs> we haven't really got to that part yet. That's right. You know, That's about right. whether you should even just not marry at all and just right. continue to collect your ex-spouses. Right. And there's also rules when it comes to, you know, remarriage and things like that. But, you know, generally for ex-spousal benefits, as long as you were married for 10 years or more, mm -hmm. um, and then you've been divorced for at least two uh -huh. years, you can collect on your ex-spouse. Okay. But what about if I'm of, reach, of the age to collect mm -hmm. and my ex-spouse, we meet all those criteria, can I get both my benefit and his benefit? You can get, oh, you can get a combination, but never to exceed the higher of the two benefits. Okay. So for example, if I'm mm -hmm. entitled to $300 onto my own working record, but then I can also get a $1,200 off of my ex-spouse record, then I won't receive both the 300 and the 1200 I can receive up to the, the 1200 mm -hmm. okay. to hire the two benefits. Well, that doesn't sound to me like that's fair to the, like to my ex-spouse because that's clearly, it's going to affect his benefit, right? A great question. And no, it does not affect the ex-spouse or either spouse. Okay. So, great question. So, if I drew on my ex-spouse's record, it's not going to affect their benefits or their current spouse's benefits. Mm -hmm. So. Do they have any reason to know that I'm even drawing on their benefit? No. So when you go apply for these benefits, you know, you're going to go through the Social Security Administration yeah. to do those things. And no, when you come in and you prove your 10 years worth of marriages, you're bringing in your marriage certificate and your divorce decree. And the ex-spouse doesn't know that you're drawing off of their record. Okay. And of course, it doesn't really matter because it's not going to affect their current benefits. I know, but we know how people are. Sometimes right. <laughs> they know that there's some catch there somewhere that it's going to cost me. Right, right. right but So I, bet they, I think that's... I, I'm, I suspect some people worry about that. That's right, and, and, they, and they shouldn't because it's an entitlement benefit. You know, they were married for more than 10 years yeah. to that yeah. spouse, and they're entitled uh -huh. to that, you know, ex-spousal benefit. Uh -huh. And there's no limit, right? If you have more than one ex-spouse that you were married to for 10 years, there could be multiple people drawing off that one employee's work credit history, right? That's correct. If I had three previous marriages that each lasted for more than 10 years, they all three could draw off of my record. And it wouldn't affect my benefit. It wouldn't affect my, say, current spouse uh, benefit. Uh -huh. yeah. So on spouse number four. That's right. That's yes. right. Which it it, it happens. Yeah, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm it sure it does. Maybe not you because you're not. You don't look. You don't look young, no. old enough for that yet. <laughs> no. but. Well, and sometimes it's not always divorce. Sometimes sure. there is a death. That's right. Um, so if someone's receiving benefits and they pass away, but they still have uh, minor children they're survived by a spouse. Mm -hmm. There's some benefits for those people as well, That's right? right. Survivor benefits yeah. are for the surviving spouse and children uh, who are under the age of 18. 19 if they're still in high school. Uh, okay. Also, if there's a surviving spouse that has a minor child, she too can receive benefits as a surviving spouse even if she's not of age. If she's caring for a child under the age of 16, she can also uh, receive benefits as well. And then when that child, when those children age out, the spouses, the, the widow spouse may, benefits may cease until then she becomes of age, which is... At age 60 for widow benefits. Okay. Mm -hmm. and, and of course, keeping in mind that the widow benefits start at age 60, but it also comes into play if they are currently working, because there is also a limit on how much you can work and make and receive widow benefits. Okay. okay. So, so let me let me throw this one at you because mm -hmm. right now you're, it looks like you're batting 100 percent. Right. <laughs> I know. It feels like a quiz, right? <laughs> right. Like, like, okay. So let's say that, okay, someone, someone, someone dies at age 59. Okay. Okay. And then they're survived by a 55-year-old spouse. Right. 
Uh, does Social Security come into play at that time? Well, there's yes, a couple of things that happen. Okay. They'll be able to receive a lump sum death payment. Now, the lump sum death payment is a just a mere two hundred and fifty-five dollars. And that's regardless of age. That's right. And it's just one. As long as I've got forty quarters, right? That's right. Gotcha. And it's just a one-time payment. Gotcha. And then they wouldn't be uh, receiving widow benefits until at least age sixty. I gotcha. However, if that individual, that surviving spouse, became disabled, widow benefits for a disabled widow start as early as age fifty. I gotcha. So, so if my spouse was, were, if she were disabled on SSDI, mm -hmm. she would start drawing immediately. That's correct. That's correct. Okay. So, mm -hmm. And of course, if there are any children under the age of 18. Right. Yes. So age 59, I die, wife 55, and if there were children under 18, then, she, then they would start drawing immediately. That's right. That's okay. right. Do the benefits go to her or to the children? or I guess They'll, it, they'll go to the children, but it will be administered by, by mom. By parent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. Bringing it back to remarriage later in life. Right. Yes. So we have Sorry. Um, a widow yeah. that's collecting off of her deceased spouse right. that is contemplating remarriage. She needs to think about that she's perhaps going to lose that benefit then. That's right, because the rule for widow benefits, if someone has started to receive widow benefits, say, you know, at age, you know, 58 or uh -huh. because they mm -hmm. were disabled, um, if she remarries prior to age 60, then she won't be able to draw on that first widow benefit. But if she remarries after the age of 60, then she can draw on still that widow benefit or maybe her current spouse. Mm. Mm -hmm. okay. Then she needs to evaluate the, the potential earning impact, who, who was the greater earner and, That's what, right. and what was she. That's right. And who do we get that counsel from? I mean, it sounds I'm, like nobody knows that. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I realize you do, but I mean, people that are like, like we're talking about this theme of the show is, right. is that, you know who who thinks about Social Security that's when they're right. being re, when they're remarrying. Well, the, I mean the, the the rules are complex, you know, and that's why yeah. you want to yeah. have you know different advisors to help you. You know, obviously we're here, you guys are here, that we can kind of help assist families in right. understanding uh -huh. all those things. But you uh -huh. know, the Social Security Administration is also there. Um, you know, time limitations that we I know applies and it gets kind of complex. But right. you know, every family should look into these things because even though we covered a lot of this information. You know, it could be case specific. There right. could be exceptions as well. Right. I know. So, what about Medicare? For can a non-working spouse get Medicare? Uh, yes. The other working spouse. Mm -hmm. uh, kind of same rules apply if they if this or the ex-spouse is at least age 62, and the um, the other spouse is approaching 65. Even though they may have not worked and paid into the system to be insure themselves for Medicare, they can still get it off on on their ex-spouse. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, so that apply, yeah. oh, that's interesting. Yep. So you have 62 year olds getting Medicare on their ex-spouse. Oh, no, no. As you have the, to be 65. Yeah, the other to, spouse has, has to, to be, be at least 62. 65. Yeah, and I then the it. spouse who's approaching Medicare age, say 65, can get gotcha. Medicare. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. yeah. okay. okay. Well, that's a thinker, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, kind of right. a puzzle okay. we always try to solve with okay. families. Right. Um, Frank, I think we have your contact information, FedLogic, FedLogicGroup.com. Um, we thank you for being here and yeah. sharing your expertise. I mean, it is just a deep well of information. And mm -hmm. um, next time, when we come back from break, we're going to be talking about love and assisted living facilities or even love in the nursing home. Stay tuned. <laughs> Isn't that fun? Yes, that's awesome. Can I call you about what we were talking about yeah, in the break room? Absolutely. Okay. absolutely. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thank, you, Thank All right. you. Have a good one. Yeah. Thanks.
It's and that, a lot. It felt like it was just a, a, like there's going to be a quiz at the end of it. We needed to give him a, a spelling bee uh -huh. trophy or, or something. Or do. They'll rewind and like, wait. Because you know it's going to be different for every family. Thank you, guys. Bye. Thank you. Thank you so pull this up and bring it right up between your necklace there. Don't forget your mom. going to do that. First time do that. No, I don't know you that well. Okay. You have to be on the show at least twice <laughs> yeah. before this he'll do it. This is my second go round. Oh, oh. You know, well. so, maybe three I was, times. I was misinformed. Oh well. <laughs> I think we'll make it. <clears throat> Barbara, <laughs> you are so professional when you pick your cup up. It just comes right down, saying, "Take us, McGinnis." I'm a professional sipper. Sipper. <laughs> as close as you can to get comfortable. Okay. Well. Good. Didn't know what I was moving there. Other way. Other way. <laughs> <coughs> Dana and the camera. Okay. Two. Picture time. Picture time. One, two, three. We need a couple more. Okay. Older Americans having intimate relationships well into their 70s and 80s has raised logical and le logistical. <laughs> Some logical questions too. <laughs> so this is a seven-minute segment. So this Just is a short quick. one. So oh, okay. it's going to go real fast. Logistical okay. and legal issues for families, caregivers, and in the All institutions right. they call so, home. So we'll try to get to you as what about soon as possible. <laughs> I'll be right here. Okay. Thank Anybody you. got? Welcome back to Takis McGinnis Elder Care Law Hour. I'm your co-host, Tim Takis, and in today's segment, we're talking about love in the golden years, especially in retirement res residential facilities. Yes, and I'm Barbara McGinnis. What about if you find love late in life and you're living in an assisted living facility or even in a nursing home type facility? Do you have rights to have intimate relationships? you're married and you're married and your spouse is living in, the, in that facility, do you have rights to those relationships? What about the family dynamics? Lots of issues related to this. And in this segment, Patty Bedwell, one of our elder care coordinators and a former long-term care ombudsman, will be here to talk to us about some of those rights, responsibilities, and just ha generally how to deal with it. So, Patty, if you're, what about it? Well, it's a um, very interesting topic. Okay. There's a lot of people that go into facilities and they do meet someone there and they do want to form a relationship. A lot of it really does depend on the mental clarity of the people. If there's no dementia involved, then the facility's obligation is to support that and to provide those people with private space and time and, you know, also let the staff know, um, don't snicker you know and all those things don't revert back to a junior high school and talk about how cute the little couple are just uh, treat them as you would anyone else yeah they're older adults and they're they entitled are. to um, having as mm -hmm. long as they have capacity mm -hmm. that ne neither spout neither person is exploiting the other or that's so exactly right. consensual relationship is really what it is and it also uh, promotes some harmony and some uh, increases the quality of life for someone everyone likes to have someone you know, right. special. Mm -hmm. Right. 
So what if a family member doesn't like that? Uh, this 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 man is hitting on my mother, and I don't like that. And and, and I'm her power of attorney. Make 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 them stop. <laughs> well, a lot of that really does fall back to the uh, the person. You know, are they alert and oriented? Are they able to make their own decisions? And if they are, then they have the right to engage in whatever relationship they'd like. Mm -hmm. And um, so the recourse of the disapproving person, because sometimes it is hard to accept th that later in life relationship. So what do they do? Well, um, actually at the end of the day, there's not a whole lot they can do. Right. Um, other it's, than, it's not a legal problem. Right, it is not a legal problem. It's a personal problem. And, and it's just a family conversation at it, that point It really point is, time, it right? really is. And they need to look at the, um, at the person, at that relationship, and, and what kind of impact is that having? And so what's the real harm? What's the threat? Is there anyone being taken advantage of? Or is it just something that makes me feel uncomfortable as the, the daughter or granddaughter, right? Right, right. A lot of it is that it, it is very uncomfortable. You know, we never like thinking about our parents in that particular way. And then now mom or dad is going with someone completely different. You know, it's terribly uncomfortable for families. Mm -hmm. But in terms of the residents, right, they have the right to privacy. They have a right to relationships. They have mm -hmm. a right to have their door locked if they want to have their door mm -hmm. locked for a period of time. As long as what you said, there is capacity and a consensual relationship. No one's being taken advantage right. of. That's exactly right. Yeah. That's so exactly if we right. have a person that has a dementia diagnosis, that might be problematic. Just because they have a diagnosis doesn't mean they lack capacity. I mean, that's, I mean, there's a mis, I know there's a, still a misunderstanding about that, but that's kind of a gray area, isn't it? It, it really is, and it does fall back to the person themselves. Um, and it also, you know, you need to look at the type of relationship they're engaging in. Do they just like the company of this other person? Do they sit beside them? Do they hold hands, you know? Are they going for a more physical relationship? Um, physical relationships with people with dementia, you know, get a little dicey sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, so you, you do have to watch out for that. And a lot of it, again, if you're talking about someone with dementia, the power of attorney does have a little more authority, mm -hmm. you know, and also the facility needs to watch and, you know, see how that person is reacting. You know, is this a positive impact on their life? Is this a negative thing? Mm -hmm. um, so there's really a lot of factors to consider and each situation needs to be viewed individually because there's not a set of rules that fits all situations. Mm -hmm. I could see how that becomes really difficult with someone earlier stages of dementia where they still have capacity, they still make decisions, but we know the trajectory of that illness. Right, and, and right. At some point in time, they may not remember this newfound friend. That's exactly it, right. Yeah. And, and I guess another thing that we haven't really talked about and that is, is that not only is there a trajectory to an illness, there's also a trajectory to a relationship. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that it's always a sexual relationship. Correct, correct. A lot of times um, people just like to be around someone that's a little like them, mm -hmm. you know? And that's why oftentimes spouses have a difficult time, you know, seeing their spouse enjoying the company of someone else a little bit more. But they're on the same level. Their levels are, are a little different, and so they 
meet there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, it's always good. It's always good to have a friend, right? It is. It is. So even if you're married, my spouse lives in the community, I'm in the facility, and and I'm developing a friendship with someone or relationship with a, a person of the a romantic relationship. Well, um, the easiest way to answer that, I'll just give an example, just a, a story. I had a gentleman with dementia. His wife did not want him involved in a relationship. And she finally decided, I'll let you know when I'm coming and you keep them away from one another and when I'm not here, you know, right. make my husband happy. Right. Patty, thanks for being here today. Okay, now I'm Tim Takis, and for more information about the organizations and the resources mentioned on today's show, please visit our website at tn-elderlaw.com uh, and click on the News Hour tab. Be sure to tune in again next time when we're, for more candid discussions about challenges created by aging, disability, and unexpected illness. See you next time. Thank you.